I ask you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 11, and we read from verse 1 up to verse 4. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he seized, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive those who are indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I, I don't know if you are aware that we record all sermons. And uh, we, we do this because we hope that, you know, you will find time. You can listen. Uh, maybe there was a day when you came and you hadn't slept well. Have been dozing, you know. Uh, so when you are free and you're okay, you're not dozing, you can listen again and you will be blessed. But secondly, I mentioned that because on the 27th of November 2022 was the last time that we were in the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And if you will have a good memory, we were dealing with that particular phrase, forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted or sins against us. That's the petition that we were dealing with. And uh, this installment this morning will be the third that we are dealing with that particular petition. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. So uh, just a reminder, it, it, it's a, a real joy that we can record the sermons and really you can uh, just make a, take advantage of it. it. It's a real blessing. It's a real blessing that... Uh, uh, you can listen. So we were saying then, and we will continue to say, this will be the last installment on that uh, petition. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. And the point that we were making then, and I continue to make this morning, that is the only petition where there is a reason given. If you look at the Lord's Prayer, uh, the other petitions are, Fairly straightforward, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, give us today our daily bread, and then when you come to that one, forgive us our sins, there is a reason given, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, you cannot pray that prayer 
unless you have responded in faith to the amazing grace of God in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Unless you know something of the fact that you have offended a holy and a righteous God. And he, in grace, has been pleased to forgive you freely. And having been forgiven like that, that you would then be ready and willing to forgive those who offend you. And you know, we, re- we live in a world in which we offend others and we ourselves are offended. And it is by this grace of God that God has taught us, that grace that has taught us, we are a guilty, sinful people. And we have only been forgiven because God is rich in mercy. He is rich in grace. And he has come to us and found us guilty and as guilty can be. And for the sake of Christ, he has forgiven, he has cleansed, he has accepted, he has welcomed us. Because God, who has begun that gracious work, he continues that work because we then become the channels of forgiveness and forgiving others who offend us. So, you remember that there is that particular parable the Lord Jesus Christ gives in Matthew 18, and we refer to that uh, the last time we talked about this this prayer. Uh, The the Lord Jesus Christ gives that graphic picture of uh, a servant who owes an incalculable debt, and he's not able to pay. And the king says, Sell him and his family. We can recover whatever we can. And the man falls down on his knees to beg for pardon, to beg for forgiveness. And in that story, the king forgives that servant freely. And then you remember the story that when he gets out of the presence of the king, he meets somebody else who owes him something. Uh, and, and, and he says, yeah, give me what belongs to me. And the man says, be patient, uh, I'll pay you. And he says, no, 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 I'm not going to be patient. So he, he takes the man and, and he puts him into the debtor's prison. That's, that's the, the story that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us in order to illustrate the reason why it's important for us who are Christians 
to be able to forgive others from the heart. Uh, to be a people who are tender-hearted and uh, forgiving. The reason given to us in that parable is because in comparative terms, we owe an incalculable debt to God and we couldn't pay. And God is gracious and he forgives us. Now, in comparison, whatever other sins that we may have had other people sin against us, in comparison, it's little compared with what we have done against God. And so, we should be willing to forgive those who sin against us. Now, the question comes, how many times should we forgive? And the Lord Jesus Christ again answers Peter. You remember that he asked that same question. How many times? Seven times? Uh, and he thought that he was really being godly by saying seven times. Uh, and the Lord Jesus Christ uh, corrects him and says, no, not seven times, 70 times seven. Uh, and so he, he is saying to us, he is saying to those of us who are Christians that we should be characterized by a willingness to forgive those who offend us. We should be characterized by that tender-heartedness which God himself has taught us by forgiving us and by accepting us, by introducing us into his family, that we then can be able to forgive others. Now, I want to give you some more reasons why we should forgive because I think that we have real struggles in this area. And uh, not only just we have real struggles in this area, the, the potential to bring division because of unforgiveness are too ghastly for us to contemplate as a church. Unforgiveness has split churches. Unforgiveness has destroyed marriages. Unforgiveness has brought untold misery in families. And so, it is something that we will constantly be meeting as we live in this world. It's constantly that we will be dealing with uh, as we grow older in this world. Uh, sometimes, you know, we, we find that our brothers and sisters are offended and, and, and we don't know what has happened. They, they are not as active. Uh, perhaps they are not as uh, friendly to us as they used to be. So we just, we just keep wondering, what, what's going on with brother so-and-so, with sister so-and-so. She's not what she used to be. And oftentimes it is because they, they are nursing a grudge 
Maybe there was something that somebody said to them. Or somebody did not say that to them that they should have said. And, and, and people are, are angry. And, and this is a constant refrain in the life of the church. That's why we are grateful that God's word is a light to our path. God's word will direct us. And if we uh, obey God's word, then obviously uh, things are going to be well for us. And sometimes people will criticize us. And you know, some people are very sensitive to criticism. They, they don't like a negative word spoken against them. And, and they can uh, keep that grudge for a very long time. Now, if you, if you recall, uh, in the last sermon, we gave the example of uh, Joseph in the Old Testament. Uh, Joseph was a man who forgave his brothers. You remember? You know, he was a guy who was sold by his own brothers. And uh, the Lord gave him grace to forgive all of them. To forgive all of them. Now, this morning, what I want us to do is to look at another Old Testament example. And it is the example of King Saul and David. And uh, we learn a lot there that... Uh, David, by the grace of God, he continued to forgive Saul. Now imagine if uh, you became aware that there's a, somebody who wants, who wants to kill you. He wants you dead. You know, I mean, it's one thing to say, you know, he, he said this about you. Or he criticized you. You know? But to hear this person actually wants you dead. Not only that he wants you dead, but he also has the ability to carry out that threat that he wants you dead. That's the situation we find between David and King Saul. So, the story is that God revealed his will to King Saul and told him, you know, uh, you're not going to be the king. I have found myself a new king. This David. Now, although the Bible doesn't say it, by his actions we are able to tell, Saul was not happy with that. And, and he felt that he, he, he was going to sort out this matter in his own way. And, and, and in his view, he thought he could get rid of David. And so as a king, he started trying to get rid of David. And... Uh, he tried many, many times. So the first time we find that David, you know, so wants to kill David is in 1 Samuel chapter 18. 
we are told that uh, he, he threw a spear and it missed David. First Samuel chapter 18. That's the first incidence in which we find uh, there is an attempt, an actual attempt on the life of David by the king himself. Now when he discovered that he couldn't do that, he, it, it didn't work, uh, he, he got down to thinking again, you know, how can I do this? Then he discovered, no, instead of me doing it, you know, I can employ my enemies to kill David. So he, he said, you know, I would like whoever is going to marry my daughter, uh, he should go and kill 200 Philistines. And, and, and come and show me the evidence of the fact that you know, they, they have been killed by bringing the, their foreskins to him. Now, you know, David wasn't very keen to be the king's son-in-law. But once again, Saul began to you know, engineer, plot, and tell people to encourage David to be this king's son-in-law. And once again, David said, fine, if this is something that can be done, I will go. And, and, and he does it. <laughs> Against the expectations of Saul, David actually does what? He succeeds. And then he becomes the king's son-in-law. So once again, you notice that He is not stopping. He's not, you know, he is not getting the message from God that this is not something that you can do because God's hand is on this man. It doesn't matter what you do, even though you are a king, you will not succeed. And so, so continues in his pursuit to try and uh, kill David. So the next thing now he does, he says, look, I'm just doing this alone. So maybe that's the reason why it's not working. Now he commands all his servants in the White House. I want David dead. And it, it, is, it is policy that uh, he, must, he must die. Now if you go to First Samuel chapter 19, there is a second attempt by Saul. He actually unleashes a second spear and David ducks and he is safe. Then thirdly, we are told Saul sends his messengers now. He, he, he puts together a kill squad. Go and kill David. And they go and they find that David has escaped. And there are many more occasions where David now actually runs away from the palace. Now he is hiding in the bushes. And every now and then, so he is from his uh, CIA. No, he's hiding in such and such a place. And, and, and then he puts together a, 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 you know, a crack army. 
they go out in search of David, and then he just ends up embarrassing himself because while they were looking for David, they don't find him, but you know he has to answer the call of nature, and he goes in a place, and David and his men are right behind him, looking at the king, embarrassing himself before their eyes. And David comes out and says, look, if I was a wicked man, I had the golden opportunity to put an end to your life. But I just want to show you that I am loyal to you, that I love you and I respect you because it's God who's put you in that place. So I'm not going to remove you. That is God's prerogative. He will remove you when he pleases. And you know what happens? So actually, repents and he actually weeps and acknowledges the error of his ways and asks David to forgive him. I'm sure David says, yeah. I forgive you, you are my king. And I'm your loyal subject, your loyal servant. But it only takes a few more days to discover that that was not true repentance. Because when Saul gets back to, his, to himself, he is still wants to kill David. In the process, he even kills innocent people whom he accuses of supporting and being on David's side. Remember there was a time when David was running and he was hungry. And so he stops by in the temple and asks the priest if there is any food in there. And the priest says, yeah, there is the showbread. That's the only food that is here. I can give it to you. And when Saul finds out that this is what this priest does, he kills him and his entire family and accuses him of being in a conspiracy with David. the point that I want you to see there regardless of how many times Saul was after David David forgave Saul and that's the question I began with imagine you knew that somebody wants to kill you would you be that willing to forgive them? I, I, I probably think that you will say, I'll take care of them myself. I'll buy a gun. And here is David. By the amazing grace of God, he forgives Saul. Not once. Not twice. Not three times. He forgives him many times. And if you have read that narrative, there's absolutely no reason. There's nothing evil that David has done that deserves 
for him to die. That was the argument that Jonathan, the son of Saul, made to the king. What evil has he done? He is the most loyal of your subjects. He is a man who is upright, full of integrity. Why do you want him dead? And the king said to his son, you are a fool. If this man doesn't die, you will never become king of Israel. And David says, that doesn't matter. Rather, Jonathan says, that does not matter. There is nothing wrong in David. And God, by his grace, worked in the life of David. And he keeps forgiving this man. And you remember how David was an upright man? Because at the end of the life of Saul, there was a man who brought what he thought would be good news to David. And he comes to the king and says, the king is dead. And the David says to him, how do you know? I killed him myself. You killed him? You, you did not fear that he is the Lord's anointed? And David commanded his servants, and that man was killed. Immediately. That, that was how David showed his integrity and his faithfulness to God and to the king whom God had raised. He said, I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. I will not retaliate even if this man continues to hound me like a criminal, I will not fight back. God will fight for me. And that's the story of David. He teaches us that if we have received the grace of God, we should be willing to forgive those who sin against us. But there's also a second reason that I would like us to consider this morning. You see, the Ten Commandments Commandment number six says, you shall not murder. Now, if you come to the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ gives us an exposition of what that means. And he tells us very clearly, it means you must not have unforgiveness in your heart against someone. Your attitude should be one of love towards that person. That if you have hatred and forgiveness in your heart, you have already murdered them. So if you 
love God, if you have received the grace of God in your heart, if you have been transformed by the Holy Spirit, indeed, if you have become a temple of the Holy Spirit, you remember how the Apostle Paul puts it. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what God has done in your heart and in your life. Then you must learn to forgive those who offend or sin against you. Because bear the nature of God in you. Because you bear the nature of God in you, you must be like God. The Bible tells us that he gladly sends the rain to his enemies. Gladly gives them sunshine on a daily basis. Gladly. Clothes them every single day. Gladly. Feeds them. And he says, if he's your father, if he's your God, if he's been working in your heart and in your life, if you bear the nature of Christ in your heart, then you must be willing forgive those who sin against you. This is what the Apostle Paul means if you read with me in Ephesians and in chapter 4. Ephesians and in chapter 4. And verse 32. This is what the Christian must be. He says, and be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. That's true Christian living. That is Christianity 101. In other words, that is the only Christianity there ever was. It is one in which you are kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Everything, you have to resolve it by going back to the cross. What God has done in Christ for guilty and worthy sinners like us. 
he has forgiven us. And so we have to extend that forgiveness to others. Have you ever read First John chapter 2 and verse 14? I think you have. But let's read it together this morning. First, first John chapter 2 and verse 14. Okay, beginning at verse 10, that uh, helps us. First John chapter 2 and verse 10, he who loves his brother abides in the light. There is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hurts his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded Desires. So, God's grace teaches us to love our brothers and uh, when you reject or if you persist with unforgiveness, that is a, a denial, a denial of the gospel. Actually, it's chapter 3, verse 14 that I'm looking for. Yeah, not chapter 2, I do apologize. Chapter 3 and verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is very serious stuff. If you are nursing unforgiveness for a very long time, you, you are proclaiming something about yourself. You are proclaiming that you really are in darkness. You are proclaiming that you really, really don't know the grace of God in Jesus Christ that forgives guilty sinners like you and me. And that's what the apostle is telling us. And that is why this is such a, a serious matter that we must talk about and think about and apply to ourselves. Be honest with ourselves. And you know what's interesting when you think, and finally, think about the life of David, is that somehow God uses the false accusations of people like Saul 
to build you up, to sanctify you, to strengthen your faith. That's the reason why God allows them. That's the reason why God sends them in your life. He is using those things that are hateful to make you a better Christian. That's how God works. If you paid attention to the hymn that we were singing, uh, I think it's hymn 500 and... Yes, 519. That's exactly what the writer, John Newton, is letting us know. God works in a mysterious way. He uses human beings, making false accusations to you to make you a better person. It is not because God hates you, that's why he is allowing them. He is using them to purify your faith. He is using them to give you a real spiritual muscle that you need to become like Christ. That's the reason why God sent them. So, I think that the problem is oftentimes our perspective. We, we become too preoccupied with human beings. We cannot see God working in our lives. God using all these things for our good. God bringing that growth that we need by allowing those difficult situations, those unfortunate accusations in your life to come. That's what the Father is doing all the while. He hasn't forgotten you. He is not ignoring you. In fact, he is answering your prayer. The prayer you've been making, Lord, I want to grow. Really? Good. That's the kind of man I want, the one who wants to grow. Now, here is the stuff that is going to make you grow. And then people start accusing you and accusing you and accusing you. God is at work in your life. He moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. So there's no need to harbor unforgiveness in your heart. Look to God. Thank him. Instead of being angry, instead of stopping coming to church, thank him for those trials and ask him to give you more grace to stand, to glorify God, to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, this is exactly the path that your Savior trod. He was insulted, the Bible says. He did not revile back. And the last word before he expired on the cross. His last word, forgive them. You must be like your Savior. You must look to him. You must aspire after him. 
that is the calling that we have in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says, where sin abounds, grace will abound even more so that you will not be overwhelmed by the sin. But those sins, God will use them to make you a better Christian. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we are